All right, we're, gonna, we're just going to go ahead and, and change some things this morning. We've already changed half the service. We'll just keep the kids here today. We only have a few minutes, and so uh, we'll keep you. If your mom or dad or grandma and grandpa are here, we're going to sing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And while we're singing, we'll have you go sit with your parents and grandparents, okay? Can you do that for me? So everybody, all the kids stand up. All right, stand up and go find your parents and grandparents. You can sit with them, and uh, then we'll start our uh, preaching time. So let's sing. Jesus loves me John chapter 6 this morning, John chapter 6, we've been looking at portraits of Christ from the book of John as, uh, on Sunday mornings, and uh, we've, we've done about a dozen sermons already, and we're only in John chapter 6, but we're not in any hurry either. John chapter 6 this morning, the passage is verses 15 through 71. Now, I'm not going to read them all, we're not going to preach on all of those verses, but this morning we're going to look at Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the bread of life. As a matter of fact, we will uh, skip over a little bit. We won't start in, in verse 15, and I'll give you a summary of that in just a moment. But I want you to begin reading if, with me, if you will, in verse 26. John chapter 6, verse 26. <clears throat> Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. I want you to notice that the people that were following after the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, and this is just on the heels of it, just the very next day. And Jesus recognized the condition of their heart. They were looking more to satisfy the physical need, the temporal need, than they were the spiritual need. So he says, you're here because I fed you, not because of the miracles, the spiritual things I did. Verse 27, labor not for the meat which perisheth. How many of you know if you eat, you're hungry again in just a few hours? Isn't that the truth? I've, I've come away from meals before, and, and as, as we traveled, we got to eat at the Cracker Barrel. Not once, but twice. Man, I, I like the Cracker Barrel, and they got good meals, but they bring you the, I, have you ever had the Cracker Barrel sampler? It's a sample plate, but they give you a big piece of meatloaf, chicken and dumplings. They give you uh, three sides, so you can have three different vegetables, or you can have french fries or mashed potatoes. And then there's a uh, sugar, sugar honey ham on, the, on this there. I mean, it's a platter. You can't eat it all. And I come out of that, and I thought, boy, I'm never going to eat again. Four hours later, I was looking for another Cracker Barrel. And so uh, that's what the Bible's talking about. It says, don't labor for the meat that perisheth. Labor not for the meat that perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? 
they're still missing it. Jesus answered some of them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believeth thee? The Bible says a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. The Jews always require a sign. What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. They said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Let's pray this morning. Father, we are so thankful and grateful to be in the house of God, Lord. And I, I've enjoyed uh, hearing the testimonies this morning and seeing old friends and being encouraged that there are others serving God. And Father, we pray that you'd bless these missionaries and, and these pastors as they, as they continue to preach the word of God in their areas of ministry. Bless their wives and families. We pray that you'd use them for your honor and glory. Father, help us now to settle into the word of God for a few moments. We pray, Lord, that it would help us, strengthen us, encourage us today. But Lord, maybe we need to be challenged as well, so I pray that it would accomplish that work as well. Father, we pray that you would fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I surrender to you, and I desperately need your help today. And we desperately need to hear from heaven. So speak to us, we pray, through your holy word. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ was becoming increasingly more and more visible in the miracles that he was performing and the works that he was doing. The first 14 verses of John chapter 6, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000 with just the five little loaves and the couple fishes. We know that God wrought a great miracle there, but I wonder in my heart how many people actually saw what happened. If you'll read the scriptures, the Bible says the disciples gathered around that little basket of food and they prayed and then they began to distribute the food. And I, I wonder if people way in the back even knew what was happening. I wonder if they just didn't say, well, hey, wonderful, they brought food. They may not have known where it came from. They may not have realized the miracle that had happened. The Bible reads a little bit about that as we look in verse 12. It says, When they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Verse 13 says, Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Some have said, well, there was enough there for each of the disciples to take a basket home with them. The problem is they weren't going home. They weren't going anywhere. I believe that the 12 baskets likely represented the 12 tribes of Israel and how God was reminding them how he fed them daily each and every day for 40 years in the wilderness with his bread from heaven. That leads us right into Jesus Christ being the bread of heaven at the end of the chapter. But I want you to notice just something that caught my attention as I read verses 12 and 3. Jesus commanded them to gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. And the next phrase in verse 13 says, Therefore they gathered. Therefore they gathered. Friends, we need to have a desire to get everything that God has for us. 
Jesus was saying, I just wrought a great miracle and there's a lot of food left over. We don't want to lose any of it. We want to hold on to it. And so go and gather up all the fragments. And through this miracle, they're able to see the, the, how much bounty God had given them, how much he had blessed them. Now, we often hear that, don't we? We, we hear people say, well, uh, I want all the blessings that God has to offer. I want everything that God has to give me. And I, I think that's a good concept. I think that's a good thing. I, I want to be blessed of God, too. I understand that, that I can't wake up and breathe tomorrow morning if God doesn't bless it and God doesn't ordain it because the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die. It's an appointment. But friends, I think we want to need everything from God as well that maybe doesn't taste so good. We need more of the Word of God today than we've ever needed it. We need more truth today than we've ever needed. Boy, truth is in decay in our society, isn't it? Uh, all evil good and good evil, we shouldn't be surprised by that, but we are living in those perilous times that Paul spoke of to Timothy, that perilous times shall come, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, disobedience to parents, unthankful. The Bible says that's the day that we are looking forward to, but friends, I'm here to tell you, it is here today. We need to hold on to the things that God has given us. And so he gives us this example and he says, listen, don't lose anything. And so they gathered it all up. Friends, we, we, we need to hold on to what God has given us. We're going to need it like a life preserver in these last days. So many people today, they kind of seem to stray away from church. I'll give you that verse I said a few minutes ago. The Bible says, not forsaking the assembling selves together as the manner of some is. We're getting close to those end times and people are falling away, but we are to exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's an encouragement when people come to church. You know, I, I was always blessed. I, I get up here and we sit on these chairs and we can kind of see what's going on in the auditorium. And I got to tell you, when Pauline Spencer was sick and she's got cancer and she's 91 years old, and when I saw her sitting on the back row, I go, oh man, that's wonderful. She has, man, she's faithful. That's what the Bible talks about when it says exhorting one another. We had a dear lady in Hamilton, Mrs. Anzanoff, 95 years old, never missed a service. She'd come, and uh, one day I said to the ladies, they had a ladies' prayer group at her house, and they'd go on Tuesdays and pray. And I said, how'd your prayer meeting go today? And, and she says, oh, it was terrible, another lady said to me. I said, why is that? And she goes, well, because her pears are ripe, and she wanted to get us some pears. So at 95 years old, she climbed to the top and stood on the very top where it says, do not stand here on the ladder. She stood on the top of that ladder picking pears. She said, we were so scared she was going to die. This was just a faithful lady that will love to be a blessing to others. Hey, that exhorts people when you just show up. That encourages others when you go to church. And we need that more today than we've ever needed it to before. Hey, that has nothing to do with my message. I just saw that in there. Amen. Now, after the Lord Jesus Christ fed the 5,000, the Bible says that they desired to make him a king. Now, there are 71 verses, so I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing to get you up to where we need to be. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, because it was not yet his time, and of course, that wasn't the plan of God in his life at that time, and so he departed into the mountains, but he said to his disciples, get you into a boat and go over to Capernaum. So the disciples did just that. And the Bible says they got off about 25 or 30 furlongs, and a great storm arose. While they're out there tossed on the sea, Jesus Christ came to them. We see this account in several Gospels. And as he was walking, they were afraid. i got to be honest with you, I'd be afraid too. 
If I saw somebody walking on the water, now you might expect somebody to be bobbing in the water and fighting for their life in a storm and maybe you come alongside and you think maybe it was another ship had had sunk or something had happened and you have to help somebody but not to see them walking across and another passage of the bible says they thought it was a ghost and jesus said be not afraid it is i and jesus stepped into the boat and the bible says in the book of john when he stepped into the boat immediately they were in capernaum other passages tell us also the sea calmed the moment he stepped into the boat. Well, this confused a lot of people. There were the 5,000 men and their families that were on the other side, and they were looking for Jesus. And they knew that he had departed up into the mountains, and they saw the disciples get into the boat, and they wondered, where did Jesus go? The next morning, they must have been looking around, and they couldn't find him anywhere. And some came back from the mountains, perhaps, and said, well, he's not up in the mountains. We kind of followed from a distance, but we don't know where he went. The Bible says somebody spoke up and said, well, there were some boats from Tiberias that came near here through the night. Maybe he got one of those. We don't know. So they decided to go to Capernaum. So they all jumped in a bunch of boats and they began to go across and they got to Capernaum. Maybe some walked around a little bit, several miles. As they got there and they found the disciples, they found Jesus also. And they began to look around and thought, well, how did he get here? Jesus never answered them. But he begins to address their spiritual need right away. In verse 26 is where we pick up the story, and it says, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Jesus begins to reveal their hearts. I'm just going to give you two things quickly this morning. I have some sub-points, but just two main points. The first thing is I, I want you to notice the nature of man. The nature of man. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows your heart? Do you know that? Maybe somebody here this morning thought, you know what, I'll, I'll get dressed up and I'll put on a tie and I'll put on a jacket, I'll put on my best dress, I'll shine my shoes, I'll brush my teeth, I hope you did. I'll comb my hair. And I'll go to church and everybody will just think, hey man, what a great Christian. They're always in their place. But God's looking at your heart right now. Well, that's a lot different than just looking on the outward. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the, the heart. Years ago, we had a, a lady that was in our church and she came in. I, I'm going to be honest with you. She was, she was modest, don't get me wrong. But she wasn't the best dressed lady. She didn't have a lot of money. She she just struggled in life, and so some of the ladies tried to help her and things. But I, I said to, to Pastor Masker one day, I said, I tell you what, I'll take her because of her heart for God over somebody who knows how to tie a tie right and somebody who knows how to dress. You don't understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we judge a book by its cover. Sometimes we see somebody singing in the choir and say, oh, man, what a heart for God. We see somebody get up and, and sing a solo, and we think, man, I, I wish I could be like them. I wish... Hey, don't look on the outward appearance. You want to get to know somebody? Get down and pray with them. Boy, that's a good way to get to know somebody. Spend some time in the Word of God with them. Because, listen, if you came here this morning thinking you're fooling somebody, you can fool me all you want. God is looking at your heart right now. God searcheth the hearts of man. Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit searcheth the hearts of man. He prays for us because we know not how we ought to pray. 
God is searching your heart right now. And Jesus said, I know those, first of all, who labor for the flesh. Who labor for the flesh. Look, it says in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did have loaves and were filled. He says, you're seeking the flesh. You're, you're, you're coming here because what I've done for you feels good. Takes away your hunger. It's temporal. It's temporary. It, it doesn't last. And He says, I want you to labor rather for the meat that perisheth not. He says, you're just here because you're working to serve the flesh. He says, God searches our hearts this morning. He knows who's serving the flesh. Why, remember, he knows when, he, when God was looking through your hearts up here this morning, he knows which one of you were singing for the Lord and which one of you were saying, hey, look at me. I'll sing a little louder because I need to bless these people with my wonderful voice. I'll drown them all out. Hey, friend, let me tell you this. Coming to the house of God is not about you. It's not about you. Some people say, well, I, you know what? I don't like those songs that we sing sometimes. Hey, we didn't sing them for you. I don't like the way so-and-so prays. He wasn't talking to you. He was talking to his father. And we can still work up. Can I tell you a little secret? I'm going to be honest with you. I can't. There's a couple hymns in the hymn book I don't like. But I sing them anyway. Because it's not about me. It, it, it may be a dried up, dusty old tune from 300 years ago that just doesn't do anything for me, but the message is there and God is blessed by it. And so we'll pick that song and we'll sing it sometimes. And, and people will look at me and they'll stare at me and say, Preacher, why'd you pick that old song? Because God is honored. It's not about me. I don't always like them. But I know there might be other people that get blessed by it. Hey, we got to be very careful not to come here to try to satisfy the flesh. Not to come here. We come to church based on all the wrong things sometimes. Now listen, I like coming to church to have, I think you ought to have a good time in church. Having a good time is different than having fun. You understand what I'm saying? I think we ought to leave church saying, man, it was good to be in the house of the Lord today. I think it ought to be, I want my kids to come to church and say, hey, that's the best time of the week for me, is going to church. I enjoy that. I want, to, I want to go to church and be blessed this morning. But let's not come here to satisfy the flesh. Because listen, friends, if you come here to satisfy the flesh, that's all you're going to satisfy. You won't satisfy a holy God. God is not amused or pleased by the works of our righteousness. The Bible says they're filthy rags. We are here to please God. Those who labor for the flesh is a self-gratifying effort, but it's also a short-sighted effort. Look at verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the God the Father sealed. Let me ask you this this morning. How many of you go shopping for groceries at a regular time? Maybe every Monday you go grocery shopping or every payday. Has anybody got a pattern like that? No? We used to do that. One time we got a phone call, and my wife didn't realize till after, but somebody called us and said, hi, we're just doing a little survey. They said, uh, how long have you been married? We'd only been married a few months. 
And so they said, we told them, they, and she told them, and she, they said, so um, when was the last time you purchased a TV? She says, oh, we just have this old little 13-inch TV. It's, something was given to us. It's old. Okay. When did you buy a VCR? Kids, you know what a VCR is? Okay. A VCR. She says, well, we just got married, so we got one for a wedding gift. Oh, okay. When did you, and they asked us all these things they bought. Then they said, when do you normally buy your groceries? She says, well, usually on Monday nights we go and get our groceries. And she got off the phone. She's talking. I says, so you just told them we have a new VCR, a new TV, and we won't be home Monday night. She went, oh. Boy, you got to be careful of those things. But, you know, we, we go grocery shopping. We, we, tr- we used to try to go on a weekly basis. We go pretty regular. How many of you do this, though? How many of you go grocery shopping for every meal? That seems foolish, doesn't it? We, we don't go to the grocery store and say, well, what are we going to have for supper? And walk around and get a few things. Then we go back later and say, well, we've got to get some things for breakfast and get a few things. And we need something for lunch and get a few things. No, normally we go and we try to... It'd be pretty short-sighted just to get for one meal, wouldn't it? It's not very good planning. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us. He says, hey, don't labor for the meat that perisheth. He says, you're worried about one meal at a time. Rather, labor for the meat that will that, have eternal life attached to it. You're being short-sighted in this. You're so busy trying to gratify the flesh, it's not going to last you. It won't get you to heaven. Rather, labor for the meat that perisheth not. So Jesus is looking at the hearts and he sees the nature of man and he sees those who labor for the flesh, but then he also sees those who live for fame. Those who live for fame. Look at verse 28. Then they said unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Understand what these people are asking. Hey, Jesus, we want to do these miracles too. Look at the thousands of people that are following you. Isn't that wonderful? If we could do some miracles like that, maybe we'd have a following as well. And and Jesus, you're famous. And listen, all you had to do was set up camp and start preaching, and thousands of people came to hear you preach. Let us do those works. There was nothing spiritual here. They were laboring for the flesh. And now they were laboring for fame. What shall we do? You know, so many today desire to meet with God, earn salvation, worship, etc., all on their own terms. It's all about them, and it's not about the Lord. That's what these people were asking. What can we do? What can we do, and how can people look at us like that? The Bible said at the last days there would be a falling away. Paul told Timothy that people would heap to themselves preachers having itching ears. The Bible has, is rife at warning us, as John said to the Laodiceans, that they would want their rights, and, but they would have lukewarm hearts. Folks, I'm afraid that's where we're at. As God examines your heart this morning, is it lukewarm? You say, well, I, I don't know. Preacher, if I were to take a survey, I don't want you to raise your hand, but if I were to ask you, how many here can say I'm 100% hot on fire for God? Man, that's where I am. I, I, I like telling people about Jesus. I, 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 man, I, I read my Bible and I pray and I like, to, I like soul winning and I like going to church and I, I never miss a service. I, man, I'm on fire for God. How many of us could raise our hands? How many of us would say, well, you know, preacher, I, I, I got to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit cold. My heart's a little bit cold. If you don't put yourself in one of those two categories, then you're lukewarm. And God says, I spew you out of my mouth. 
hey, you can fool the preacher, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the bus workers. You can, you can fool that person sitting right beside you in the pew. You didn't have to look at the screens. You got all the words memorized. You don't need a hymn book. Hey, it doesn't mean anything to a holy God when he looks at our hearts and sees what's going on in there. Those who labor for the flesh and those who live for fame, it is the doctrine of self or ego. It is also the danger of self-promotion. The people noticed the works that Christ were doing and they wanted that power and no doubt is following. Look at Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says in verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Hey, these people that Jesus ran into were not the first ones to labor for fame, to labor in the flesh. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are not to labor for fame. We are not to labor for the flesh. We are to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible also says it is the desire of signs or agnosticism. Look in verse 30. The Bible says, Then they said they, therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? The people were desiring a sign. They said, We'll believe it if you can prove it to us. The Bible says we are more blessed when we have faith and believe what we have not seen. Faith, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, is evidence of things not seen. Hey, I wonder today, did you come to church to say, hey, prove something to me, preacher? I've heard all about this God, and I've heard all about this Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, there's a lost and dying world out there that's looking for us to prove it to them. Now, that may not be right. You say, well, that's not biblical. They have to have faith. But listen, they're looking at your life, and they're seeing, hey, when, the, when things get tough, when somebody's going through a cancer battle, somebody's uh, struggling with their, their health, or somebody's losing a loved one to death, and they're looking at you, and they're wondering, is Jesus real? These people gathered around, and they said, show us a sign. God could see their hearts. The fact that they needed a sign tells us they weren't really saved at all. They hadn't yet trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see not only the nature of man, I want you to see the nourishment of the master. The nourishment of the master. It is the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Look in verse 33, or verse 32. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. There's three things I want to tell you about the bread of life this morning and we'll be done. First of all, its source. Its source. Verse 33, the Bible says, For the bread of God is he which, what? Cometh down from heaven. The bread of God. Belongs to God. This idea that we should trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior came from heaven. 
This was God's idea. When Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but by me, hey, that wasn't some prophet on this earth that was just making something up to get a following. That was a message from God above through his son, Jesus Christ, and we are to trust him and only him. You say, well, there's a lot of ways to heaven. If that were true, why did God let his son die? Wouldn't you think there'd be some other thing he could do? If there was, he would. If there was any alternative, if there was some other way than shedding the blood of his son on the cross of Calvary, he would have done that. But he is the bread of life, and he came from heaven. The Bible says in verse 50, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I want you to notice, secondly, not only its source, but its sustenance. In verse 33, the Bible says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven, and look what it says, And giveth life unto the world. Hey, does anybody know what the opposite of life is? Death. Now, that's a pretty easy choice, isn't it? Life or death? Life or death? Heaven or hell? Choose. I think anybody in their right mind is going to choose life. The Bible says, the bread of heaven which giveth life. Look, if you will, in verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. This nourishment that it supplies is it supplies heaven. The second thing we see about its, uh, its sustenance or what does it supply, it silences hell. Look at verse 50 with me. The Bible says, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof. And what are those next three words? And not die. Hey, it's just as simple. Eat the bread of life and have eternal life in heaven with God, but you don't take of this bread of life and you die and go to hell. I'm so thankful today the Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to supply heaven and also to silence hell. But if you're a child of God today, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Friends, you need to listen to this. Here's the third thing that it gives us in sustenance. It suppresses hunger. It suppresses hunger. Let me outline that for you. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall, what? Never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Do you know what that implies? That if you don't come to Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to hunger. And you're going to thirst. How many of you today that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior can say, before I got saved, I had a void in my life. I had a hunger for something. I didn't know what it was. There was something missing, and I, and I found it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I took of that bread of life, it, it filled that hunger. Let me say this. Because that hunger was filled, now listen, our appetite should have changed. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our appetite should have changed. In other words, those things that we hungered for before, the things that we were trying to fill that void, the things that we were trying to use to to take care of that need that we had in our lives, hey, that ought to change. If you were drinking before and you were thinking, boy, that'll, that'll take care of, wipe away the memories, that'll take care of the bad feelings, hey, you don't need alcohol to do that. You have a peace that passes understanding. You have the comforter, the Holy Spirit living within your heart. You have a brand new life in Christ. Behold, all things are passed away and all things have become new. You're a new child of God. You don't need that anymore. You don't need those drugs. Hey, you don't need that stuff. You don't need that immorality. 
Listen, that's, that's stuff that used to take care of your appetite and used to fill that hunger and fill that void. But listen, it was just a meat that perisheth. But if you'll come and take of the bread of life, and I'm talking to the child of God now, there ought to have been a change in your life. Your appetite should have shifted. You say, well, I'm still feasting on some of those old things. Hey, you need to get rid of them. You need to start feeding yourself on some good things. And get some good music in your home. Don't listen to that garbage music. That'll fill your head and fill your soul and mess you up. Get good music in your home. Get into the Word of God. Hey, them, them soap operas and romance novels and all that garbage. Hey, get into the Word of God. Feast on that. Somebody said this. I think it's pretty good. Get off Facebook and get your face in the book. Amen? Amen? Now, I understand social media can be a tool. I, I, I get quotes from pastors all the time, and sometimes I'll retweet them because I think they said something good that, that can help you folks or put a scripture on there or announce a special meeting that's coming up. But, but listen, I, I'm not interested in putting uh, pictures up there and immorality up there and, and stuff that's going to hurt people. Listen, that, that stuff's just garbage. Be careful of that if you're on, on social media at all. Be very careful of all those things. Get off of Facebook and get your face in the book. Amen? There ought to be a change in our lives. Our appetite should have changed. I want you to see this, this nourishment. We see its source, we see its sustenance, and finally, we see its seriousness. Hey, this is important stuff. Look what it says in verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove again among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat, as, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Listen, listen, let's just stop there for a minute. Do you think the Lord Jesus Christ was literally saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood? Of course not. As a matter of fact, the law forbid people to drink blood. And Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Hey, this wasn't literal. He wasn't telling them to, listen, if it were literal, we'd all be lost and going to hell because we don't have his flesh and his blood today. That's a Roman Catholic doctrine, that transubstantiation. They believe when they take the wafer and they put it on the tongue, when the priest bless and put it on the tongue, it literally turns to the body of Christ. And when they drink that little cup of probably real wine, they, they drink that stuff, and, and it turns to the blood of Christ. Hey, we don't believe in the mystical stuff that goes on there. The Lord Jesus Christ was simply saying this, you need to consume me thoroughly. This isn't just a part-time thing. You need to take it all in. I'm the bread of life. Hey, I don't want a halfway commitment. I don't want people going part way. You need to consume me. Do you remember back in the Exodus when they, they, would, uh, uh, they, they took that little lamb and they roasted him that night and they were all to eat that lamb with bitter herbs? The Bible says I want you to eat everything. You couldn't just eat a part of it. If you can't eat it all, share it with your neighbor. Get some other people over in your house and make sure you consume all of it. It was a picture for us today to understand we need to take all of Jesus. He is the bread of life. If you don't, you're going to keep hungering. 
Only he can fill that void. Read on, verse 59. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? One of the hardest things a Christian ever does is give himself 100% to God. Surrender's a hard thing. Ladies, can I tell you a secret? The Bible says, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And you say, oh, that's hard. You know your husbands are to submit to the Lord 100% the same way. You understand that as much as you battle to submit yourself to your husbands, your husbands are battling to submit themselves to the Lord. God didn't do that to make anybody inferior or feel less. He did it to show us the pattern God has for our lives, a submission to him and his will for us. You need to pray. You need to pray for your husbands that they submit their home to the Lord. They submit their, their, themselves to the Lord that they might be the father and the husband that they need to be. It's a difficult thing to submit. And, and these disciples said, this is hard. And many turned away when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured. He said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up before, uh, where he was before? It is the spirit that quitteth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. He wasn't talking literally, was he? About drinking blood and eating flesh. He says, no, no, these words are spirit. Catch this. Catch the spirit of this. This is a teaching time. That's what Jesus was saying. Verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Do you know who it was that went back? It was the ones that who could not consummate the Lord Jesus Christ into the life 100% fully. The ones that said, this is a hard saying. The ones that said, I, I don't know how I can submit 100%. I've got other things I've got to worry about. Listen, you submit 100% to the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll take care of all those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Trust him. Seek him first. Put him first in your life. He is the bread of life. Can I show you something? Go back. We're done. In verse 34. The Lord Jesus Christ was going back and forth with these people. They said, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you just trust me. Then they said, show us a sign. Jesus answered them again. In verse 44, they finally submitted. Some of them did, not all. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Something changed in their appetites, didn't it? They didn't say, hey, we, Jesus said, you came for some physical bread. You liked that I fed you, didn't you? But later on, they're saying, no, 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 we don't want that anymore. Give us this bread. This bread that you're talking about, this bread from heaven, this bread of eternal life, that's what we want. Hey, friends, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. If you're not saved today, if you don't know Jesus... May I encourage you to trust him before it's eternally too late. I know we're a little bit over our time this morning. I, I understand that. But I, I hope you'll understand that we don't want to leave here without giving somebody the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. And maybe there's one that said, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't have the bread of heaven. I don't have Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what it is to have eternal life. And would you pray with me? I, I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call it your name. Some of you were here last week and you raised your hand. 
that you needed Jesus Christ, and maybe this entire week the Holy Spirit's been pricking your heart and bringing you closer to that decision. Could we help you today? Is there any? Would just slip up their hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. Slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die, I don't know if I'd have eternal life. Amen. I see that hand. Is there another? Maybe there's some Christians here today say, Preacher, you know, isn't it interesting how Jesus just looked at them and he knew exactly what their hearts were? And you can say, like them, God's been searching my heart this morning and I've been laboring for the flesh or I've been laboring for fame or I haven't changed, my appetites haven't changed. I, I name the name of Christ and I call myself a Christian and I go to church and I dress up and clean up, but I, I still got some of these old appetites I'm fighting with. Still involved in some things of the world. Friend, you need to let that stuff go and give yourself to Jesus Christ fully. Maybe there's some here today who say, Preacher, I, I need to submit 100% today to the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever He leads, I'll go. Where He leads me, I will follow. Whatever I, He asks me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to surrender 100% today and see what God won't do with my life. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. If God has spoke to your heart in that way, would you step out and come? Would you come to this old-fashioned altar? Just move, do something. Pray where you are, but listen, friends, I think it's important that we show God we're serious about this. If we don't surrender ourselves 100% to Him, it is those types of people that turn back and follow Him no more. You don't want to be that one five years, ten years from now. Let's stand to our feet this morning that says, I used to go to church, but now I don't even know if I'm saved. How would you answer the Lord on Judgment Day? Let's do business with God.